Good morning. Our first scripture reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, and it's found on page 1774 in your Pew Bibles. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants, through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, for they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. Our second scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 to 37, and that can be found on page 1,502 in your Pew Bibles. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka is answerable to the court, and anyone who says, You fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath. But fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. The word of our Lord and Savior.
Let us pray. God, open our ears to hear from you. Open our eyes to see what you're doing and open our hearts that we might receive from you into the deepest part of who we are, the love and the grace and the mercy, the the teaching, the leading that only can come from you. Oh God, meet us today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. When I was in elementary school, I loved Valentine's Day. I couldn't wait to go to, let's see, it wasn't Rite Aid, it was another chain of pharmacies that's long since closed. I would go in and I would get Larry Bird or Michael Jordan Valentine's in a little box that I would uh, address to all my classmates. I kept the ones that had the coolest pictures for myself. <clears throat> but I'd go, I'd get those Valentines of my, my two favorite basketball players. I'd get them ready for Valentine's Day. And my mom would get me some candy to hand out to my classmates. And you know, I was thinking this week, you know what candy that I loved then? It's, I tried some a couple years ago, and it's absolute trash. But I loved it when I was a kid. Or those little tiny hearts that had sayings on them. Oh, they taste like artificially flavored chalk. Oh, but I loved them as a kid. But here's the thing, when you were a kid, and you got those little bags of hearts with the sayings on them, it wasn't so much uh, eating them, because I think everybody knew, even though you ate them, it tasted awful. Um, It was the sayings on them. And you would give them to certain people based on what the saying was. So, you know, there was one that said, would you be mine? That's maybe what you would give to your crush, right? And then there were some that were a little more generic. And you'd kind of give those to your friends who you thought were just okay. You know, like, hello or good afternoon, whatever would be written on them. Something really innocuous and non-Valentines. Those would go to the people that you, you know, you just tolerated. But the ones with the sayings you'd give to to people that you really liked and maybe save a special one for the person upon whom you had a crush. I saw some of those little hearts a couple years ago. And you know what they say now? They don't say, would you be mine or happy Valentine's Day. Text me, call me, follow me on Instagram. They don't say that because you can't fit that on a heart. Um, But they're just, they're nothing like when when I was a kid. The hearts, the hearts were, were great. And the Valentines would have hearts on them and all sorts of sayings. And I loved Valentine's Day. And then when I got to college... When I studied English literature, and I was thinking this week as I read through Matthew, the Lord brought to mind a strange connection, but a story from a person I fell in love with in college, Edgar Allan Poe, and the telltale heart. Who remembers that story? The telltale heart of a, of a person who's so overcome by guilt that he admits to the police who are looking for someone who's missing that Buried under the floorboards. Because all he can hear in his mind is the beating of this heart. The telltale heart. It's a time of year where we think about hearts. You know, the Bible talks a lot about hearts. 
And in our culture, as I've said before in sermons, in our culture that can be so rife with language like love and hearts and hope and joy and peace, all wonderfully biblical concepts, we need to remind ourselves, first and foremost, how the Bible defines these things instead of the messages that we get from the world around us. The Bible talks a lot about the heart, about hearts. The heart is the center of who you are. It is the place from which your values and your convictions spring. It's who you are when nobody else is around. That's your heart. It's who you are at your innermost being. And Jesus today, lest we forget the context, says in verse 18, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill. And then Jesus launches on a series of teachings where he quotes something from the Torah, that that authoritative law-given part of the Old Testament, and he expands upon it in the interest of Reaching hearts. You see, when God gave the law to his people, think of of Charlton Heston up there on Mount Sinai in the Ten Commandments. When Moses went up and received the law from God, and then as the people of Israel started to develop as a particular nation in a settled place, and those laws were expanded upon to touch all aspects of life, individual and communal living. So often the laws had to do with outward behavior. And that would make sense, wouldn't it? When you have this brand new nation that is trying to organize itself for there to be laws dictating how people were to interact one with the other. So we have commands like, don't kill, don't covet, your neighbor's property. Honor the Sabbath day. And then later on, when the Ten Commandments are expounded upon with all these other laws, it touches on things like how to treat servants, how to treat foreigners, how to settle disputes among each other. And it has to do really with exterior behavior. And that was really important in the development of, of this particular people through whom God would impact the world. Yet, over and over again, if you know your Old Testament, there's a trajectory continually away from the purposes of God, of following his law toward the self. The people constantly waver. They falter. They move away from God. And then they come back for a time. And then they're unfaithful again. And then they come back. And then they're unfaithful again. And in Jeremiah chapter 34, God says that I will write upon their hearts a new covenant. And Jesus, the one to whom the entire Old Testament points, comes, he takes the law, and he moves it beyond the outward 
beyond behavior, beyond action, straight to the heart. Straight to the heart. Jesus takes things like adultery, divorce, murder, all these things that the good Jews knew not to do. And then Jesus ramps it up. Moving beyond just external behavior, and he addresses matters of the heart. You see, because Jesus points us to this reality that we see all through the Bible. And that is, behavior doesn't just happen in a vacuum. Things like murder and adultery and other ways that God's law is broken don't just happen like that. It springs from a particular interior place that then manifests itself in external behavior. And Jesus cuts right through it, right to the heart, right to the heart of the matter, and calls those folks, many of whom believed they had it all together. There are good religious people in the crowd listening to Jesus who followed the law. They did everything right. On the exterior, their behavior was beyond repute. And Jesus, in his way, indicts even that and goes right to the heart. Friends, there's times where we come to this teaching of Jesus and we get a little uncomfortable. And frankly, that's how it should be. That's how it should be. Jesus should make all of us uncomfortable at times. We call that conviction. Friends, because I think each one of us, we know that if we were to divulge the secrets of our hearts, there are things there that we're not proud of. Each one of us knows our own capacity for good, but also for sin, for breaking God's law. Springs from the heart. Springs from the heart. Friends, it's so easy to get caught up on the externals. The good religious people in Jesus' day did just that. They would look on the exterior and they would make judgments about one's spiritual condition based on what they saw. In fact, there are times where Jesus indicts the religious leaders because they did just that. They looked proper, they looked pious, and they would stand out in public places where others could see them. And over and over and over again, not just in this passage from Matthew 5, but continually throughout the Gospels, Jesus moves beyond the external right to the internal. So we ask, is there hope for us? Is there hope for our hearts? Is there hope for those of us who, maybe we don't murder, that's a good thing. I think we, if, you know, if we can set the bar there, let's see, okay. Maybe, maybe we haven't been unfaithful to a spouse. Maybe we haven't done those big sins. But friends, each one of us, every day, 
in ways that we both know and in ways that are lost on us, we stray from the mark. That's what sin means. Hamartia in Greek. It's an archery term. It's as if someone takes a bow and shoots it to our target and continually misses the mark. That is sin. When we trust in our own striving, our own effort, when we try to do it alone in life, we will continually find ourselves tripped up and ensnared by sin. And friends, I think one of the reasons that we have this teaching from Jesus is he gives us a standard that's impossible for any one of us to meet on our own. Completely impossible. Oh, sure, we cannot murder. Do we look at someone and we feel in our heart anger, hatred, jealousy? We've already broken God's law. Oh, we may not be unfaithful to a spouse, but we look at somebody with less than pure intention. We've already broken God's law. Jesus wants to work a fundamental change at the heart level that goes beyond anything that we can perceive with our eyes, but that cuts straight to the core of who we are. Jesus wants to upend and change our values. Jesus wants to enter into our lives. So it's no longer us who live, as Paul says, but Christ who lives in us. That's the the goal of the Christian life for everyone. Not just for special Christians, but for each of us sitting here today. John Wesley, the founder of our movement, called it holiness. That is the thing that each Christian is called to pursue. A life of holiness. And yet we can't do it in our own power. It's only God working through us that we're able to do it at all. The paradox of the Christian life. Friends, each one of us has things to confess. Each one of us has a heart that often is not pure. Each one of us in some way sins. We we break God's law. We don't live up to the standard that is set for us We can't do it anyway. It is only through Jesus Christ and the sanctifying grace of his gracious Holy Spirit working in us that can change the heart. And friends, when the heart is changed, guess what happens? The exterior changes as well. When Jesus Christ works a fundamental change in someone's heart, we're going to start to interact with others differently. We might find that instead of being short-tempered, we're given a measure of patience. We might find that instead of looking at someone with impurity, we see them as the image of God, someone whom Jesus loves and is worthy of all respect and dignity. Instead of looking at somebody else and finding out what we can get from them, we know, how can I serve this person? What can I give to them? All of that is the external manifestation of a heart, that is changed and is being changed by Jesus Christ. Friends, how's your heart today? We're coming up on a day where we think about hearts. So I want to encourage you today 
And on, on Tuesday, is that Valentine's Day? And on Tuesday, I should know this. And on Tuesday, good thing Amanda's not here. On Tuesday <laughs> and beyond. Make the heart your focus. Ask the Lord to reveal things to you. And then give him space to work. When you open up yourselves to the transformation that we can only find in Jesus Christ, get ready. When you take him up on his offer to bring his transforming grace into your life, he will do a work. He will do a work. Friends, may each one of us open up our hearts so that all of us, the internal and the external, becomes a manifestation of the grace of God in a dark and lonely world. Amen.